Thank you, Gary. Thank you, Roselle. It's a blessing to see Gary up here leading with his heart. <laughs> um, kind of reminds me of Friday night as well. Thank you all that came and sang your hearts out. That was great. I really loved singing together with you. And for everybody who worked so hard to put that together, whether it was the food or uh, chairs or uh, Pat giving us the use of her home and people helping with rides, it was a, a great blessing. So thank you for all of you that uh, participated in that. Let's just bow one more time before we get into God's Word in prayer. Father, you have been so patient with us as human beings, as sinners, as uh, your special creation that decided to go our own way. And we don't even realize to what degree you've been patient with us, and, and yet you are faithful, as that song said. And uh, You keep on extending your love. You keep on uh, working to show yourself to, to us, and you are patient in withholding your wrath uh, that sinners deserve. And Father, we, we're just so grateful you've, you've heaped on us abundance in so many different ways, and it's so easy for us to take it for granted or to take credit for, for what came from you. And, and I pray you'd help us this morning to uh, see both our our great poverty and our great wealth if we are in Christ and uh, spur our hearts on to, to greater gratitude and, and closeness to you as well. And uh, just pray that you'd use our time in your word to do that and, and lift us up. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. <clears throat> you know, I think about uh, Thanksgiving in our country uh, we've set, aso uh, set aside by, you know, the, the proclamation of our government that Thursday is to be a day of giving thanks, and I think we have a hard time with that. Uh, I think it's a struggle to, to actually use the day for what its purpose is. Um, it's a, a great day for watching football. Lots of football games on, and uh, that's, that, that can be a wonderful thing. I enjoy watching football some myself. Um, it can be a great day for eating some really good food. Enjoy that a lot. And God has blessed us so much, right, with that food. And, and it's a way of celebrating and giving thanks. And it's a great time for family to gather together, at least for most people. For some people, it's a really difficult time because it's expected you'll get together with family and you have a miserable time. Because our relationships aren't what they ought to be, right? But I think one of the biggest reasons we have a hard time being thankful is because we think we're rich and we think we're strong. And Thanksgiving really isn't made for those who see themselves as wealthy in and of themselves and as being strong in and of themselves. Most of the time we don't think we really have a whole lot to be thankful for. Well, of course we should have what we have. Of course we ought to, you know, to, to be blessed with all those things that are ours. 
And so, I, I, as you see that in your outline in the bullets, and I, I've titled this message, Thanksgiving is for the weak and poor. Because really, unless we see ourselves as we truly are, we have a tendency to not show gratitude to the one who really has provided us with absolutely everything that we have. And if you turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians chapter 4, uh, in that chapter, uh, Paul is dealing with uh, the church in Corinth, which had lots of problems, um, yet he loved them deeply. That's why he wrote two long letters to that church, and he spent, he'd spent many months with about a year and a half, I believe, with that church, getting them established and visited them on other occasions as well. But one of the problems that they had was they were pretty arrogant. And they set themselves up against one another and they said, oh, well, I follow this teacher, so I'm better than you. Oh, well, I follow this teacher, so I'm better than Well, I just follow Jesus. I'm better than all of you. And he said, you're, you're looking at things the wrong way. And in verse 7, he pulls it all together to give, try to give them a, a proper perspective of themselves. And he says, for who regards you as superior? What do you have that you did not receive? And if you did receive it, why do you boast as if you had not received it? He says, you think you have all these great blessings because you produced them. So stop and think about it. What can you point to? What do you have that didn't come from God? Find something. The way you talk, the way you boast, you act as though you caused it to come about. And really, that's the heart of the message. If you don't get anything else, 1 Corinthians 4, 7. Everything you have has come from God. Psalm 136 is a great song of thanks. It's very repetitive. I'm not going to read through the whole psalm. We're just going to scan through it. I'm, I'm assuming you've, you've probably come across Psalm 136 before. Uh, I'll, I'll just read the first few verses of it because that introduces the theme, which, of course, is a great Thanksgiving song, psalm because it starts with give thanks to the Lord, which is, by the way, another problem we have in our country. We don't realize who we're giving thanks, supposed to be giving thanks to. It's supposed to give thanks to God. <coughs> give thanks to the Lord, for he is good, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the God of gods, for his loving kindness is everlasting. Give thanks to the Lord of lords, for his loving kindness is everlasting. There's your theme. Give thanks. He is merciful. He is gracious to us. And it's a graciousness that has no end. Give thanks to him because of that. But as, as, as the psalmist works his way down through all of these things that he names, and, and, and this is kind of one of the, kind of like the, you know, used to do in church responsive readings. You know? The leader would say the first thing, and the people would say, for his loving kindness is everlasting. 
and over and over again. For his loving kindness is everlasting. For his loving kindness is everlasting. But I just want us to look at the kinds of things that are mentioned here that we should be thankful for. In verses 5 through 9, he talks about how we should be thankful because God has created all that there is. He starts off with, for, for to him who alone does great wonders. Did you catch that? To him who alone does great wonders. So if you're patting yourself on the back because you did such a great job, you didn't do great wonders. God alone does great wonders. Thank him because there's much evidence of him doing great wonders throughout our world. But, but then he takes a right to creation as an amazing thing that we should be thankful for every day. He made the heavens with great skill. He spread the, verse 6, he spread out the earth and the waters. Then verse 7, to him who made the great lights. Verse 8, the sun to rule by day. Verse 9, the moon and the stars to rule by night. And all of, all of that was made that we can't even begin to grasp and understand. We, we point our great telescopes out and try to, to explore these things in these places. Or even on a clear night. We're just amazed at, the, at these lights that God has created. But, but even that, he, he put them there so we could navigate by them. They give us heat. The sun produces the energy we need in the plants that feeds the whole planet. That's just the beginning. And what could we do? Can we work wonders? Can we create any of that by speaking it into existence? We can manipulate things, but, but God made it. Give thanks. Recognize you are amazingly poor and weak because none of that you could do on your own. He had to do it for you and provide it for you and design it so it would work together so you could have all the blessing of it. Give thanks to him for that. Now, this is a Jewish song, so verses 10 through 16 give thanks for the Exodus, for the, the nation which had been down in Egypt, had, had you know, gone in a large clan and grown into a nation. They were slaves. They were made to work. Their whole life was dominated by the Egyptians. Right? Everything they did. And yet God, loving them so much, verse 10, he smote the Egyptians and their firstborn. So that's just the culmination of those plagues, right? That God demonstrated his power against this, this most mighty of kings, right, in their view. Pharaohs thought they were, you know, Pharaoh thought he was a god. God proved otherwise. And smote this man and his mighty army, right? He brought Israel from their midst, verse 11, verse 12, with a strong hand and with an outstretched arm, verse 13. Him who divided the Red Sea asunder made a path for him through of this huge body of water. Could they get across? No, they were stuck. They were like, oh, great, we're going to die, right? That was their whole perspective. They were without help, except God broke through the water and said, no, come this way. Not a problem for me. I made it. And verse 14, and he made Israel to pass through the midst of it. He overthrew Pharaoh and his army in the Red Sea. And he led his people in the wilderness. 
So they were, they were this bunch of slaves. They couldn't even get out of their work, right? They couldn't even rebel without having their work more heaped on them, right? When, when, when Moses said, let my people go, things just got worse for them. But God did all of that for them. And they could give thanks because they said, we couldn't do it. We are weak. We are helpless, but God, you did it for us. So we are so thankful that you have richly provided for us. But it didn't stop there. He didn't leave them wandering in the wilderness, even though that would have been more than enough if he was with them. Verse 17, to him who smote great kings and slew mighty kings. Verse 19, Sihon, the king of the Amorites, 20, Og, king of Bashan, 21, and gave their land as a heritage. Verse 22, even a heritage to Israel, his servant. For his loving kindness is everlasting after each one of those, right? But they were, they were just this, this ragtag bunch of people who used to be slaves. They weren't warriors. That God went and defeated mighty kings, set them aside, people who had dominated the landscape for centuries. And God said, here, let me set those aside out of your way and give you their land. Impossible. Except God is doing it. To give thanks. His loving kindness is everlasting. When we get to the end of the psalm, and again, it points out weakness, right? Verse 23, who remembered us in our low estate. There it is. We give thanks because we really weren't anything special. But God remembered us. God thought of us. God cared for us. God acted on our behalf. And verse 24, and has rescued us from our adversaries. Verse 25, who gives food to all flesh. There'd be no living being on this earth if God didn't provide food. We say, oh, well, wait a minute. I see these fields out here, people growing grain. I see animals being raised for food. Oh, well, try that without God. Well, you get, you get to, to manage and manipulate that, but it's God who does it. Without him... It's not going to work. He gives food to all flesh. Give thanks, verse 26, to the God of heaven for his loving kindness is everlasting. We have to start at a point of realizing I, I don't have anything without God. What do you have that you did not receive? The lesson is found many places throughout Scripture. Go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We see that, that there's a sense in which, even in Christ, God is, is helping us to understand this truth. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 26 through 31. Again, we're back with the Corinthians again, right? People who had a problem thinking that they were something. Well, here's what Paul has to say to them right towards the beginning of this letter. He says, for consider your calling, brethren, that there were not many wise according to the flesh, and not many mighty, and not many noble, but God has chosen the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. And God has chosen the weak things of the world to shame the things which are strong, and the base things of the world 
and the despised God has chosen the things that are not so that he may nullify the things that are so that no man may boast before God. But by his doing... You are in Christ Jesus, who became for us wisdom from God and righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that just as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. See, it's only when our weakness is made evident that we are really, truly be able to enjoy our relationship with Jesus. As long as we move into that relationship thinking we're something, we're thinking, boy, isn't he glad? That good to ha- isn't it good for God that he has me? We miss the point of the relationship, don't we? And Paul says, "Did you look around you? Did you notice the people who have come to Christ? It's, you're really, in the world's eyes, a bunch of nobodies. You're not here because you have accomplished a great deal. You are here because God loves to take people that the world says are nothing." And make them a demonstration of his great work, of his mighty love, of his great power. He's pointing out that it's a rare person who is rich or powerful by the world's definition that comes to faith in Jesus. Notice it's not not impossible, but it's rare. Because when we think we've got it, we don't go looking for someone to provide it for us. When we see ourselves as powerful, as capable, as sufficient, as independent, as wealthy, we don't realize how completely dependent we are on God for every little thing. It's God's way of helping us to see how ridiculous our rebellion is. We try to rise up and, as Satan said when he tempted Eve, be like God, right? You, be be the, the master of your fate. You take the things by the horns, and you do it. You accomplish. And there's nothing wrong with taking initiative where it's appropriate, but if you think you are the one who is accomplishing all those things in your life by your own power, you've missed the point. And yet, we are made to glory or to boast. As you see at the end of that passage, it says, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. And there Paul's quoting from Jeremiah. So if you, if you flip back to your Old Testament, Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Give it, let's give it just a little bit more context than the, the part that, that Paul quotes. <clears throat> And there he says, Thus says the Lord, Let not a wise man boast of his wisdom, nor let the mighty man boast of his might. Let not the rich man boast of his riches, but let him who boasts boast of this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord who exercises loving kindness, justice, and righteousness on the earth, for I delight in these things, declares the Lord. So you think you're rich? Don't brag, don't boast, don't glory in the money that you've made. You have possessions? Don't, Don't glory in those. Glory in 
the fact that God is willing to have a relationship with you. Not because you're great, but because he is kind and loving. And he reaches out and makes it possible for you. Boast in the Lord. Glory in the Lord. You said, well, I thought we were talking about thanksgiving. Well, aren't the two pretty closely related? When we glory in the one who has benefited us so much, shouldn't it come right? Thank you, Lord. You are amazing. What you have done is more than I can fathom and understand. Thank you, Lord. So when we glory in God and thank him, I believe we find fulfillment in the things that are ours. Whereas if we just pursue the things and we pursue the name that I did it, that I have it, after you have it, it often loses its luster, doesn't it? Loses its significance. But when we boast in the Lord and give thanks in it, it brings a fullness to it. And we say, ah, God, who is infinite and is doing things that are eternal, has blessed me with this. Thank you, Lord. And it brings a sense of satisfaction that we don't get from boasting in ourselves. Because when we do that, what we really want is just a little bit more. Right? We want more. We're not satisfied. Just bring us to the, to the point of, of understanding just how much everything we have comes from him. Realize that we, the fact that we exist, we exist at his pleasure. We exist because God wants us to exist in this moment. Uh, turn to the book of Job, chapter 34. And in the book of Job, of course, Job has gone through some very, very difficult things. The loss of basically all that he has um, is all of his possessions, his children. Uh, he still has his wife with him, and he has a few friends. And those friends come and they talk to him. Uh, we have to be careful what you take out of Job because sometimes his, his friends are not speaking uh, with a proper perspective. Sometimes they're not even speaking what's true as they're trying to say, Job, you're in this terrible mess because you've sinned. Obviously, that's the reason why this has all happened to you. But he, he has friends that do most of the talking. At, toward the end of the book, we're here in, in chapter 34, a younger man is sitting there with him. He stayed quiet the whole time. His name is Elihu. And the interesting thing about Elihu, he waits for all the older men to speak. He thought wisdom should be with the aged, right? Well, he's frustrated by the end because they don't say anything that he thinks really fits. And so he shares his perspective. And that's where we have here. One of the interesting things about Elihu is the other three are rebuked by God. Elihu is not. So I give him a little more credibility. But he certainly catches this point perfectly in Job 34, verses 13 through 15. Where he says, Who gave him, speaking of God, who gave God authority over the earth? And who has laid on him the whole world? If he should determine to do so, if he should gather to himself his spirit and his breath, all flesh would perish together, and man would return to dust. It's quite a statement. If God just retracted the life that he's given, 
everything that is alive would die, right? All life that there is is because he has given it breath, because he has animated it. That's how dependent we are on God. And not just us, but every living creature that is. It's as Paul recorded, is recorded as saying in Acts 17, 28, in him, speaking of God, in him we live and move and exist. Simply because he chooses to keep on giving life to anything that lives. So it comes down to the very most basic things, right? And Jesus, God the Son, keeps that going, Hebrews tells us. Go to Hebrews chapter 1. Hebrews chapter 1, the, the author of Hebrews starts off talking about how God has interacted with humanity over the years. And it says, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1, down through verse 3. God, after he spoke long ago to the fathers, in the prophets, in many portions and in many ways, in these last days has spoken to us in his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, through whom also he made the world. And he is the radiance of his glory and the exact representation of his nature and upholds all things by the word of his power. When he had made purification of sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty on high. And here we have the Son having made everything, and he upholds all things by the word of his power, according to verse 3. In other words, if Jesus didn't say everything should continue to exist, what would happen? Uh, your, your, your version might say that he sustains. He keeps everything existing by his word. So I think if he didn't choose to keep us existing, we, we would just be suddenly gone without a trace. If he didn't hold the universe together, it would not stand and continue to function properly like it does. It's so hard to imagine every little tiny bit of control that's required for even the simplest of things that exist. People who deny that there is a God and that he is the creator have in their imagination that matter just happened one day. And then it bounced around against each other, you know, around for millions, billions of years, and some things started to, to coalesce. What this says is, no, no, it was designed and created, and it only stays together as what it is because the creator says, keep on working the way I designed you to work. And the smallest of molecules or atoms won't hold together unless Jesus wills that to be so. The fact that this world is in such chaos now, we look around it and we say, boy, it's crazy. Things just get crazier every day. You know why that happens? It's because he has allowed us to have just a little bit of what we think we want. We think we want to be God, right? We think we want to be in control. 
And he has loosened that, in a sense, just enough for us to realize what happens. Do you like it? I'm not too fond of it. The chaos in the world and all of the, the, the evil that's going on in this world, it comes back to the fact that, that we're just getting a tiny taste of what happens when we get to act like God. How thankful we should be that he doesn't just let go. Think of all that we still have, even though sin has impacted this world. In fact, a similar passage is in Colossians chapter 1. If you turn over there, Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17. Here, again, speaking of Jesus, it says, For by him all things were created, both in the heavens and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things have been created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things hold together. So again, here's that, that truth that, that Jesus is the creator, God, but he holds it all together. And on top of that, in this context, it talks about that he made all, all things, not just objects, but whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authority. All authorities and structures among the beings that God has created, they hold together because he makes it hold together. Have you noticed lately how fragile that is? Again, He's allowed sinners, you know, to exercise some control, both human and angelic sinners. But think if Jesus didn't sustain that. Instant anarchy, right? You think things are bad now? Even what we have, he is holding together. He is working in the hearts of kings and rulers and presidents in order to keep things moving ahead. If he said, hands off, oh, we're only getting a taste of what that might be like. And so God loves to help us get a grasp of, of how little we have, but how much we have to be thankful for in him, and how much power he, he uses to our benefit. So turn with me to another example of that in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, uh, verses 1 through 10. Uh, because Paul had some amazing experiences. As an apostle, uh, God worked in him in, in certain ways that, that, that your typical uh, Christian doesn't get to experience. As a matter of fact, he had some visions he talks about here that were literally out of this world. And he says, boasting is necessary. Well, he's still dealing with the Corinthians again here, right? We're back with them who thought they were something. So he says, okay, in order to make my point, let's do a little boasting here. Boasting is necessary, though it is not profitable, but I will go on to visions and revelations of the Lord. I know a man, he's speaking of himself here probably, but trying to not actually say I had this happen. I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago, whether in the body I do not know, or out of the body I do not know, God knows, but such a man was caught up to the third heaven. 
And I know how such a man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know, God knows, was caught up into paradise and heard inexpressible words which a man is not permitted to speak. On behalf of such a man I will boast. But on my own behalf I will not boast, except in regard to my weakness. For if I do wish to boast, I will not be foolish, for I will be speaking the truth. But I will refrain from this, so that no one will credit me with more than he sees in me or hears from me. Because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, for this reason, to keep me from exalting myself, there was given me a thorn in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to torment me, to keep me from exalting myself. Concerning this, I implored the Lord three times that it might leave me. And he said to me, My grace, my grace is sufficient for you, for power is perfected in weakness. Most gladly, therefore, I will rather boast about my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may dwell in me. Therefore, I am well content with weaknesses, with insults, with distresses, with persecutions, with difficulties for Christ's sake. For when I am weak, then I am strong. And Paul, who was blessed with things we can't even imagine, said, God also gave me a great gift. And that day after day, I'm reminded I'm incredibly weak. I don't have the strength to deal with whatever, whatever this thing that he, God put into his life. A lot of people think it was some sort of a physical ailment. Uh, we don't really know. He said, but God was so gracious to remind me day after day after day that in myself I'm weak, I'm poor, and I have a God whose power is so great that it shines out even more when my weakness shows. It's really Paul saying, I am thankful, I am grateful to God. For one thing, that he kept me from the troubles of pride that were headed my way if I kept going like I was, if I, if I took credit for this great blessing from God. But when the power of God then is working in and through Paul, it then becomes obvious to others that it simply couldn't be because Paul was so great, because <laughs> you looked at Paul... And he said, look at that problem he has. Well, he didn't do those things. God did them through him. His power is amazing because he can even use Paul. He can even do that through Paul. Again, that idea of, of, of boasting, so connected to thanksgiving. Who do we boast in? Well, we should boast in the Lord because he has done great things for us and in us if we're in Christ and through us. So it's important to, to thankfully know our true riches. Not counting on all these other things that the world says, oh, well, here's why you should be thankful. And we should be thankful for all those things because, again, there's nothing we have that we didn't receive. But really, what, where we're truly rich is in that relationship with God. And so when Paul's writing to the Colossians, if you want to go back there again, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, he warns them. Colossians 
Colossians 3, verse 5, that they might want to use their bodies for the purpose, instead of saying, God, you've heaped on me so many blessings, but for wanting more. He says, therefore, consider the members of your earthly body as dead to immorality, sexual sin, impurity, passion, evil desire, and greed, which amounts to idolatry. See, this verse is talking about the opposite of thankfulness. The opposite of thankfulness, really all of those things are types of greed. When it's sexual immorality, it's wanting more and willing to get it in a place that God says isn't a place to get it. Right? God has blessed us in the marriage relationship with this intimate uh, physical relationship, right? What a great blessing. He says, no, don't use your body for that outside of marriage. That's being greedy. You want more and you want it from a place it shouldn't be coming from. Impurity, passion, evil desire, greed. All, all kinds of, really that word greed just means a desire for more. We just want more. That's where our heart is. It says, if you're in Christ, stop thinking that way. Your life isn't about gaining more, whether it's materially or if it's just experiences or power or, or whatever else. Stop just desiring more. Set that aside. And then verses uh, 6 uh, down through verse 14, he talks about the difference. And then there's a whole series of sermons you could have out of there. But it's, it's you've become a new person if you put your trust in Christ. So put off the old person that you were, and that's what you did. You just wanted more. You just wanted to use your body to give you more pleasure. You just wanted your body to give you more a sense of that you're, you have power and you're in control. You want to use your body for, set that aside, put that off, and put on the new person you've become in Christ. And then he kind of pulls it together in verse 15 through 17, and notice what he emphasizes in each one of those verses. First he says, let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, to which you indeed were called in one body, and be thankful. So rest in that peace. And I think he's talking to them, rest together in that peace. And be thankful for it and for the God who gives it. Verse 16, let the word of Christ richly dwell or keep on dwelling within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another with psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with what? Thankfulness in your hearts to God. Instead of being greedy, oh, be thankful to the God who gave you his word that you can share with one another, that you can build one another up with, that you can sing about, and sing and live with thanksgiving. And finally, verse 17, whatever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. And so it, it encompasses every single area of life. You do it for his glory. And you do it while giving thanks to him through God the Father. It's, it's, it's relishing our true riches. That's where thankfulness comes. It's not in what you have done, but in fact, what he has graciously given to you. And that's where, where, what Psalm 23 is like, by the way. Uh, David wrote this psalm. It was written by a shepherd. And I think he probably wrote it in his early years. 
Because actually when he got into his later years and he had so much, he found it easier to be greedy, right? He saw Bathsheba, he wanted her. He already had multiple wives. He wanted more. But back when he lived the simple life of a shepherd, didn't have much, didn't think of himself as much, he said, what an amazing shepherd I have. I'm a shepherd for these sheep, and they are very needy. But shepherd I have, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Oh, talks about my weakness, right? I don't have anything, but he gives me all I need. Those sheep out there, they were totally dependent on David. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still water. My most basic needs, food, water, just like those sheep. If, if they were just left to themselves, they'd have been in big trouble. But God is his shepherd, and he, like a needy sheep, is provided for richly. I talk too much in between. Forget where I'm at. He leads me beside the still water. What's next? He restores my soul. How do you restore your own inner being? What resources do you have within yourself to do that? You don't, do you? No, no your shepherd does that, right? He cares for you right in the middle of it. He guides me in the paths of righteousness. Where's a sheep? If somebody's not taking him where he needs to go. <laughs> Big trouble, right? Finding a place to die, I hear. <clears throat> it's for his namesake, right? He does it for the best of reasons for us. Verse 4, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, that's where you're helpless, right? Death is lurking on every side. I fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, both your discipline and your protection and your directing, are with me. They comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. All the wild animals around, and yet the shepherd keeps his sheep safe, right? While at the same time providing them with a rich diet so that they can thrive. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and loving kindness will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. The word thanks is never in there, but isn't that the heart of the poet, the, the songwriter of David here? What a shepherd I have. Thank you, God, that you meet every little tiny need, and I'm a, like a sheep. I need you desperately. So what have we received? What do we have to be thankful for? Again, we could start now and just keep on going. We, we did it for quite a while Friday night in between songs, didn't we? A lot of things were mentioned, but just the fact that we were born, we have the gift of breath and of life, right? That itself could be gone like that. Of, you know, if we've, we've made it to this point, we've had food, we've had shelter, we've had some degree of health, we've had water, all essentials for life that... If God didn't provide them, life would end. In our country, we have, we're born into a, a country where we have great freedom. We live in a world where the God designed, we have the opportunity to function with our creator, the opportunity to steward his creation. He gave that to us, right? He said, here, rule over all of this. Take care of it. Be a steward of it. 
And we have the opportunity to bring our Creator glory. Those are just a few of the things that we have to be thankful for just because we were born into this world. But if we come to know Christ as our Savior, we have many more things, more abundant things to be thankful for. Let me just mention a few that are ours if we've been reborn. We have a new birth. We have forgiveness of sins. We have eternal life that begins immediately when we place our faith in him and goes on into eternity. We have a relationship with the triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. The one who made all of this. The universe, all that exists. We have the indwelling Holy Spirit inside of us, continually giving us spiritual life and wisdom and direction and gifting and supernatural abilities to do things that we wouldn't have been able to do on our own. We are, have life in his body, the church, other people to, to build us up and encourage us. We have spiritual gifts. We have the opportunity to share this life with others. We have hope for this life, but also for eternity. We have the power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead and seated him at the right hand of God, according to Ephesians, working in and through us, individually and together. There's just a few of the things that we, though we are weak and poor in ourselves, we are just wallowing in riches. We are experiencing infinite power. Are we thankful? Or do we think, well, of course I do. What do we do? Well, Colossians 3.17, whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through him to God the Father. Do that and you can have a good, a blessed thanksgiving. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for pointing out our weakness. Because it's only when we begin to know how, how much we don't have and how little we are and, and how powerless we are that we realize, boy, you, we have received so, so much. And so we would ask you to help us to more fully enjoy all your blessings by recognizing that they are from you more fully, by giving you more glory and more blessing and more honor and more thanks that we would work hand in hand with the way you have designed us and designed this world and and just be then we turn around and we gain more blessing by doing that thank you you are such a good gracious god full of loving kindness that goes on praise you. We thank you. In the name of our dear Savior, Jesus. Amen.